the foods that you eat, you should have more energy after and not less energy. It should not take more energy to digest your food than you need. You, it should be giving you more energy. So after your meal, you should be like, whoa, I, I'm going to go do the laundry. I'm going to go run around the house. I'm going to go jog around the park with the dog. Like you just want to be feel, you want to feel alive and vibrant after each meal. And if you don't feel alive and vibrant after every single meal, you're eating foods that are harming you and not healing you. Hello, and welcome back to the Mindful Belly Don't Eat Your Feelings podcast. I'm your host and health coach, Ellie Rome. So for those of you new to this podcast, I'm Ellie. I'm a former chemical engineer gone health coach after overcoming a lifelong sugar addiction and binge eating. So I was constantly thinking about food all the time, restricting myself, and then would have these horrible binges. And then I would be in shame spirals, guilt, recommit to some crazy diet, crazy exercise regime that I work for about a week or two maybe and then I would just be right back into the binge guilt shame restrict it was just this toxic cycle I was so sick of thinking about it all the time it was wasting so much energy and mental capacity and then I started developing autoimmune issues and thyroid issues I was chronically fatigued I'd gone from like all this energy to someone who didn't want to get out of bed in the morning I had gut issues digestive issues it was just like all these symptoms were piling on and on and I went to a bunch of doctors. I was handed a bunch of prescriptions. Ended up, I was like on ADHD medication because of the brain fog. And and it was just, nothing was helping. I wasn't being given answers. Just here's my, like, here's a pill. Uh, but no one was asking why. And it wasn't until I went to a holistic practitioner who was the only one that asked me what I was eating. I ended up finding out a bunch of food sensitivities and finally broke through sugar addiction and my world changed. I mean, all my symptoms went away. I lost all the weight that I had gained. I gained a bunch of weight in college. And I just felt so like I had freedom. Like I had real freedom, not only physically, but just like mentally. I wasn't thinking about food all the time. I wasn't like a slave to food. It was transformative. And I, and I just was like, I have to help other people do this. So again, I was a chemical engineer before, but started getting trained as a coach on the side and then was able to leave my job to do it full time. And now I've coached hundreds of people to do this, to break through these destructive eating habits and really reclaim their health, reclaim their energy. And that's what this podcast is about sharing with you those tools and education. Cause there's just so much misinformation out there. And so to offer you a different perspective and things you can try and you are unique so to not even just take everything I say as like, like truth, like use it as a path, like, Hey, let me try this. Let me see how this works for my body and tweak and learn because you are unique where, where you're at and your health journey is unique. And I do that, tell that with all my clients that there's no, there's no cookie cutter meal plan that's going to work for everybody. And so this podcast is about helping you ask the right questions, learn about yourself and have at least a starting point and a lot of the mindfulness tools to break through through emotional eating and to really use food as fuel versus comfort, stress, etc. Okay, and so in this episode, I got the privilege of interviewing Ashley James. Ashley has an amazing podcast. That's how I found her and connected with her. It's called the Learn True Health Podcast. And she interviewed tons of experts in the field of holistic nutrition, naturopathic medicine, and alternative healing modalities. And in this episode, Ashley shares her journey of reclaiming her health. I mean, she had PCOS, she had type 2 diabetes, she was told she would never have kids naturally. She's now had 
she has her son and she's um in this episode she shares that she is pregnant with her second child all naturally conceiving and so i do want to point that too like there's so many people who i've been told they're infertile or that they can't get pregnant or they're having to do rounds and rounds and rounds of ivf treatments and so much of that is based on their diet being or their bodies being so inflamed and and they're under chronic stress so basically if you're under this like chronic fight or flight state, whether it's from an emotional reason, from external circumstances, being so like being trapped in anxiety, or the physical body being under a constant stress state based on inflammatory foods, based on diet, like your body's like, no, we're not going to hold a child here. This isn't the environment for a child. Your hormones are all jacked up. You're not able to produce the proper sex hormones and it prevents fertility. There are so many cases of infertility that there's like unknown causes but that unknown cause is for many people inflammation and stress and so I can't emphasize enough how much lifestyle habits matter if you know anybody that's having issues with getting pregnant like please please direct them to this podcast or direct them to a functional medicine doctor a functional nutrition practitioner or a functional doctor who can have a holistic view of what they're going through versus just trying to force the body to get pregnant when it's in a state that it isn't really capable of holding a baby. Anyway, side tangent, but Ashley's also, we we really dive into emotional eating, destructive patterns from childhood that can maybe contributing to to the way you show up with food. And then also Ashley is an NLP practitioner. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming the best way I can describe it, and hopefully this is, gives it justice, it's techniques to provide practical ways in which you can change the way you think, the way you view past events, and the way you approach your life. So NLP techniques can be really powerfully effective in changing how you experience the world. A lot of times we are trapped in old patterning from childhood, from that are we're running on our on our unconscious thoughts. We're running from our subconscious programs, and so it helps us transform that to have lasting change. And so really cool to be able to speak to Ashley about this. And we focus a lot on anxiety and I think it's so important. I know almost all of my clients have experienced are experiencing some level of anxiety and that drastically impacts your relationship with food and your health. And so being able to overcome that with some, some of the techniques Ashley shares, I think is so powerful. So very excited to share that with you. And as always, if you need help, if you are struggling, please reach out. You don't have to do this alone. I know changing your diet, changing your lifestyle habits can be so hard or seemingly hard when you don't have a support system or you're kind of not quite sure which way to go. What is the best next step for you? And so having a coach can make all the difference in the world. So if you need help or you just want to see like what would coaching be like, um, you can set up a free strategy session with me, 30 minute virtual call, and we'll map out a plan for you and see if we would be a good fit. So you can do that at calendly.com backslash mindful belly. And a couple quick announcements. The April 21 day group reset is officially on the calendar. The dates have been set. So our next group reset will be April 12th. So get signed up before March 1st for the early bird pricing of 149. And if y'all don't know what the 21 day reset is, this is a group reset. I will be coaching you for 21 days to reset your habits, to reset your health and to launch into your best self. This is so- so if you're interested in that, check it out at mindfulbelly.com backslash 21 day reset. And if you just want a free resource, I've created this 12 tips to end binge eating and stress eating. And that is on my website. You can get a free download 
there, just go to mindfulbelly.com backslash freebies. And with that, let's go to the show. Hi, Ashley. How's it going? It's so great. I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for coming on the show. I'm so excited for my listeners to get to hear you. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's dive right in. Awesome. Well, to start off with, I'd love if you could just share a little bit about your health journey and what brought you to who you are today. Absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of had a roller coaster of a ride when I was really young. I was very sick all the time. Um, When I was six years old, I would wake up constant with constant sore throats. I just felt really lethargic and nothing was really diagnosed or wrong. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s, so they didn't throw as many drugs and, and diagnoses at, at, uh, at children, uh, luckily. But I was just sickly all the time, and I just thought that's how life was. And then my mom, who also was sick because she had candida, she'd seen an MD who put her on like six months of antibiotics for the common cold, basically, and wiped out her, her uh, microbiome. No one knew about that back then, but she did, stumbled upon a really great naturopathic physician who, who saw both of us, and he gave my mom the anti-candida diet, and uh, he looked in my eyes and my ears. I remember this, I was six years old. I was, I was standing in front of him as he was sitting in his chair, and he crouched down and looked in my ears and looked in my eyes, did um, radiology. He took my blood. He said, you're O blood type. You're allergic to milk, yeast, wheat, and sugar. Stay away from them and you're going to take these supplements, you're going to eat this food instead. And he basically prescribed something that could be considered a paleo diet. But back then, you know, the 80s, we didn't have those, you know, we didn't have names for these things. So we went home and I remember my mom just tore out everything in the, in the kitchen, in the pantry, and brought in fresh fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, uh, some lean meat, um, some yams and, and, um, and thus began our, our, our diet of, of basically more whole foods. Uh, we did go dairy free. And so I grew up on really gross soy milk. Um, but what's really interesting is that within days, within like less than three days of eating this way and taking supplements, my sore throats went away, my lethar- like lethargic feeling and fatigue went away. And all of a sudden I was a kid, I was a real kid. You know, I could go out and ride my bike until, until my parents, you know, called me in for dinner. And so I just had this freedom in my body that I'd never experienced. And from the age of six to 13, I had complete freedom in my body. I was never tired. I could ride my bike for, I could ride it for days. I could, I could, I could, you know, as a kid, you sometimes stay up all night with your friends. I could do that. No problem. Um, I even caught the German measles and it felt just like a little cold came and went, no big deal. If any time I caught something like a flu or cold, I just got a fever and the next day woke up and I was fine. So health is this, is this feeling in the body of having freedom, of being able to move past symptoms really quickly, of the body being able to be challenged and then come back to homeostasis really quickly. Well, when I was 13, I decided to rebel because I was sick of my mom imposing all of her very strict you know, health rules on me. And I wanted to be a rebellious teenager, which is very common uh, for you know, turning 13. So I decided to eat all the cafeteria food at my new school. I decided to stop taking the supplements. I decided to eat as much uh, dairy and sugar that I could get my hands on. And I gave myself in my teenage years, I gave myself type two diabetes. 
uh, I gained weight out of control, even though I was still exercising. I was on the rugby team. I was studying to become a black belt. I was every day incredibly active, but I started eating like the other black belts, you know, eating the standard American diet or the standard Canadian diet, um, more wheat and more cheese. And I just started getting sicker and sicker and sicker till I, by the time I was 19, I was told I'd never have kids. I had polycystic ovarian syndrome and infertility, um, really bad blood sugar problems. I was hungry all the time. I was just constantly, it's pica or cribbing, which I later discovered, but I was just, I felt like a prisoner trapped in my own body. So most of my 20s, I spent suffering. I also developed chronic infections for which I needed monthly antibiotics for. I spent most of my 20s, most, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're supposed to be partying. You're supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be going to concerts. I spent it in bed. I was so sick. And I really didn't see the correlation that I did this to myself um, until I was 28. And my husband and I were watching a, excuse me, my throat's dry. We're watching a documentary on, it was like one of those first health documentaries and Netflix was just starting to, starting to stream health documentaries like Food Inc. or Forks Over Knives. And they were interviewing the founder of Whole Foods. And he said something along the lines of shop the perimeter of the grocery store and, and vote with your fork. And I thought that's really interesting. You know, if I buy organic, I'm voting with my fork to support organic farmers because I don't want to support like commercial farming that destroys small, small business and small farms. And, and I don't want to destroy the planet or environment or our health through pesticides. So we decided to ch change things up. At the time, my husband and I, I was 28, and we were eating really bad, the standard American diet. Although I had been on and off Atkins and many other diets. I've done over 30 diets. Um, and I would always lose some weight, but then get really sick and then gain more weight. And I kept blaming myself, like something's wrong with me. Like something maybe psych psychologically or something physically is I'm somehow broken because those diets, you know, all these doctors say those diets work. So there must be something wrong with me. And I would try Atkins numerous times, but every time I would end up with the same result. I'd lose about 20 pounds, get incredibly sick. My liver would hurt. And then I would gain all the way back. So at this point, I was kind of just exhausted all the time. I also had chronic adrenal fatigue. I, I was diagnosed with that. I had very low um, cortisol and I was just so exhausted all the time. So we go to the grocery store, we go to Whole Foods and we shop the perimeter. So we're not even dairy-free at this point. We're not meat-free at this point. We just shop fruits and vegetables in those aisles and we choose some meat and dairy, and we just, but we don't go through, we don't go through the, the aisles with all the sugar and the wheat and the canned foods. We don't do any of the packaged stuff. So we come home, we pretty much eat vegetables and fruit and, and, some, and some meat. And, but we made sure everything was organic because I was voting with my fork and within one month, and I wasn't expecting any health changes, but this is this, this huge revelation that happened. My chronic infection stopped. And I was on monthly antibiotics for these constant infections and they went away. And I thought, if I could change one of my major health problems by shifting what I'm, what I'm putting in my grocery cart, like what else can I change? And so that began my real deep dive as an adult into holistic health. Meanwhile, I kind of had suppressed my entire childhood because I was equating all the health things I did as a child with still wanting to rebel against my mother. So I had to do a lot of healing about my relationship with my mom who passed away when I was 22 in order to finally come around to acknowledge that she was right, <laughs> completely right, 
And, you know, it really takes that turn as an adult, whether you're in their 20s or whether you're in your 70s, you eventually come around to realizing that everything you were angry at your parents for, that you just have to own it, right? And so I came around and I realized, you know, maybe she went about it in a little bit of a strict or harsh way, but she was really right. So through my 20s and 30s, late 20s and all through my 30s, I focused on holistic health. I began being mentored by naturopathic physicians. I became a holistic health coach. I resolved my chronic adrenal fatigue is gone. I resolved it. I completely resolved my type 2 diabetes. Um, I no longer have infertility. We naturally conceived our first child. And... um, and I have some great news about a second one, but we're not telling anyone yet. So, so there's that all natural, all naturally done, no help at all, just eating super clean, taking supplements that are high quality and living a holistic lifestyle. Um, so I no longer have the chronic adrenal fatigue, type 2 diabetes, chronic infections, polycystic ovarian syndrome, all gone. And if anyone is listening who's been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, you've been told by an endocrinologist that you have it for the rest of your life. You don't. You don't. You don't have type 2 diabetes for the rest of your life. You don't have any of these things for the rest of your life. You can heal your body. You can totally get back. And, and maybe, you, maybe you've never had health. You can get to a place, because I like to say get back to health, but for some people, it's health for the first time. Um, I've also lost 80 pounds, and I'm continuing to get to my um, healthiest weight by supporting my liver and eating incredibly healthy foods. So um, I don't believe that there's one diet that fits everyone, but I do believe that the more whole foods you can eat, the better. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. There's so much I want to dig in here. (laughs) So powerful. And so, especially on the, the note around your, um, I think like even just the rebellious tendency against your mom, like if, do you have any (laughs) advice? I feel like a lot of people have this kind of like, even a subconscious association like with foods, like bad foods being- Oh yeah, absolutely. So my mom was really scared of carbohydrates. So my mom was a model, although she was too short, unfortunately. So she did modeling in her early years and then she ended up working um, in, in clothing and became a, a rep for some really reputable clothing, uh, women's clothing lines. And so she always had to wear stilettos. You know, she always had to just look like, she always walked out of the house just- looking like she was about to walk onto a runway. Like she was just gorgeous all the time. So, you know, five pounds to her was like the difference between making or breaking a deal, right? She had to look the part. And so she was really obsessed with exercise and dieting. And even when I was, thir- when I was 13 years old, I was very skinny and very athletic. I've been athletic my whole life. And she, she put me on Weight Watchers, the original Weight Watchers, because she was so afraid so she put her own fears on me. She was so afraid that I'd get fat because my dad's fat. And actually in talking to, because I've done over 400, 440 episodes now for my podcast, I interviewed um, a like dieting psychologist who says that if we never go on a diet, if you never go on a diet, you actually, your metabolism is better off than if you've ever gone on a diet. That every time we go on a diet, we end up kind of screwing ourselves over for the rest of our life. And so not to blame my mom, but I was, you know, this is part of the blaming my mom thing is that she had me on diets before I was ever overweight. And I'm like, well, yes. Okay. I know I got to the point where I was like, screw you mom. And I started eating pizza and fries. Right. So I, I, I did that to myself, but if she just left me alone, I don't know if I would have gone and eaten the potato or eaten the fries and the, and the pizza. So, you know, we can't, we can't go back and I can't go back and change that. But what I can do is heal the relationship 
that I have created inside me. My mom's passed on. So the relationship that I have with her now, and especially as a mom now, go, you know what? I totally see it in myself wanting to control how my son eats because I want the best for him. And my mom, in her way, wanted the best for me. So her version of the best for me was making me afraid of carbohydrates. And, and that I had to really examine and go like, you know, because that's why I kept doing Atkins because, you know, that must be the healthiest way to eat or because carbohydrates are bad, right? This is my deep belief system that I inherited from my mother. And every time I ate like brown rice or potatoes or, or sweet potatoes, for example, incredibly healthy foods, if you eat them alone, not with cheese or oil, right? Um, healthy, those are healthy foods, but I would notice the guilt that I felt and the shame that I felt. And so I had to become present to the emotions that I felt while eating. And then almost like disassociate and look at myself, like become the fly on the wall, become the observer, watching yourself having this reaction to the food and go, this is interesting. This is me having this experience. Where does this come from? What belief do I have around this? What do belief do I have about myself, about this food? You know, because we food is to nourish ourselves. We have 30, over 37 trillion cells in our body. We have even more microbiome. There's more than 37 trillion cells that are microbiome inside our gut, right? So we have about six pounds of bacteria in our gut that we're responsible for, for feeding. And then in addition to that, we have 37 trillion human cells that we're responsible for feeding. And we need to make sure we're picking foods that are going to nutrify that. But a lot of times we get caught up in the pleasure trap of the dopamine response of foods that are hyper palatable. And then we get caught up in the emotions of wanting to self-soothe and self-medicate. And then we get caught up in the feeling guilt or shame that we don't, we associate food with not looking perfect or not being perfect in life. So there's, um, there's definitely emotional charge to food and there's definitely, um, everyone has it. Everyone has a past because you can think about what was your dinner table like? You know, was it harmonious sitting around the dinner table eating food with your family? Or, you know, was your mom yelling at you for not eating enough vegetables? Was your dad punishing you because you put your elbows on the table? You know, do you associate family meal time with something positive or something negative? And you can kind of go through your childhood and look at food as a fly on the wall, like look, become the observer. Um, but part of healing it is, is coming from the standpoint of being this adult, like up fly on the wall as an adult, looking down at your life going, oh, wow, that's where I made, that's where I made these unconscious choices or limiting decisions or negative beliefs about food. And I really want us to get to the point where we look at our plate and go, this nutrition is healing my body. If it's just a plate of brown rice and, and steamed broccoli and there's no seasoning on it, most people go, oh, no thanks, you know, pass the chips, right? Pass the, no thanks, I don't, I don't want that. That doesn't sound like it tastes good. But I invite you to actually try a meal that is just steamed vegetables and brown rice with nothing on it. And just, and then ha have a, an experience of observing your, your thoughts, of observing your emotions. You know, is there a little five-year-old inside of you just screaming, no, I want ice cream, screw you, I don't want to eat my vegetables. Or is there... So something inside you that believes that brown rice is bad for you because it's carbohydrates? Or is there some part of you that says, I can't eat that because it doesn't have oil on it or it doesn't have, it's not, it doesn't have sugar, salt, or oil on it. These, these are 
key ingredients in triggering the dopamine response. And a really great book is The Pleasure Trap by Dr. Goldhammer, who I've had on my show. He, he talks about and unpacks this concept of why is it that we know we're eating food that's bad for us? Why, why do we keep doing it? It's because the food manufacturers are um, basically making legal crack cocaine because they're fat, salt, and uh, sugar. So fat could be oil or butter, but fat, salt, and, and sugar are designed to, and think of all the foods that you love to eat, like pizza, for example, has all three. Most foods that we love, love to eat have all three. They, put, they even put salt in um, an ice cream. There's salt, there's fat, there's sugar in ice cream. So think about all the foods that people are really addicted to. You're going to find all those three ingredients. That's the trifecta to trigger the dopamine response. But the problem with that is all those foods are incredibly unhealthy for us. And why, why is it that we're eating foods that are killing us for five minutes of pleasure, for five minutes of an emotion, right? Eat a, eat a plate of steamed vegetables with maybe some balsamic drizzled on it, which is incredibly healthy because balsamic increases nitric oxide, which is very healing to the heart and the cardiovascular system. It heals the endothelial lining of the cardiovascular system and also increases endurance. So you should eat some um, like steamed beets, for example, with some balsamic before you go for a jog or right after you do a workout because it's really good for endurance. But just try that. Just try sitting down and eating some broccoli. And what you'll notice at first is the thoughts you have about it. Oh, I don't like this. This, doesn't, this isn't good. So become the observer and watch all the, the negative thoughts about it, right? And then, and this is actually a fun game. If you can become the observer watching yourself having an experience. And then as you chew, I want you to notice every flavor. And you will find, because at first you're like, oh, this is mushy. Oh, this just tastes gross. Oh, this is bland. There's no salt on it. No, it needs butter or it needs oil. And as you keep chewing, you're going to start to notice that there's layers of flavor. Maybe it takes you a few minutes because you're, you're, you're the complaining in your head is so loud, <laughs> want, wanting you to pass the salt. But just try eating some steam, like steam, not overly steam, but just, just lightly steamed broccoli and notice how many layers of flavor you can taste. That we spend most of our lives covering up these delicious flavors of, of healing foods with something that might create a huge dopamine spike from fat, of, from butter, oil, and from salt. Um, but what we're, what we're doing is robbing ourselves of this connection with whole foods, with real foods. Or eat some broccoli raw. Notice how it tastes in your mouth and also notice just become the observer, noticing the thoughts you have about it, the negative thoughts and the positive thoughts. And then ask yourself, you know, why is it that we, why is it that I go towards foods that I know are, are not healthy for me just to have um, this instant gratification of the dopamine, right? Like I'm hitting a crack cocaine pipe every time I sit down for a meal. And instead, and oftentimes we're not even tasting our food. We sit and watch, watch TV or look at our phone we're not even tasting our food, right? But what if we sat down to a meal that would heal our body? And, and I, I've worked with clients uh, where regularly we can reverse type two diabetes in under three months. So imagine if you're suffering or cholesterol, we can lower your cholesterol. People get off cholesterol medication all the time using this way of eating. If you ate in a way that begins to taste good, if you just, you drop away from these old habits of trying to spike your dopamine with salt, sugar, and oil, or salt, sugar, and fat, and instead 
you focus on wanting to experience the raw, the real flavors in food. And then anytime you have shame, guilt, fear, anger, all these emotions come up and they might be subtle in the background, this little sort of raging inner child, angry that you're being forced to eat vegetables, right? You just become the observer going, that's interesting. Because why are we living from our past? Why are we living from the decisions we made as a five-year-old about food, about vegetables, about healthy food? And as adults, we really need to grab that and take responsibility, stop blaming our parents, stop blaming our past and take responsibility for it. And part of that is starting to eat foods that are incredibly healthy, even though your emotional body will say, no, I don't want it. Just give me the pizza, right? So sitting down eating um, steamed vegetables at every meal and actually eat a pound of of steamed vegetables before anything else in the meal. So eat the vegetables, get, get it out of the way. And then notice how you feel afterwards. Um, no, just notice your body. Notice how you feel afterwards. Do it for a week. Notice how you feel. Notice how your bowel movements are better. Notice how you have more energy. Notice how you're not sluggish after a meal. Like if you have to sit down and watch TV because you're too tired after eating, like you're eating the wrong foods. You want to like the foods that you eat, you should have more energy after and not less energy. It should not take more energy to digest your food than you need. It should be giving you more energy. So after your meal, you should be like, whoa, I'm going to go do the laundry. I'm going to go run around the house. I'm going to go jog around the park with the dog. Like you just want to be feel, you want to feel alive and vibrant after each meal. And if you don't feel alive and vibrant after every single meal, you're eating foods that are harming you and not healing you. So that's that's my little download of <laughs> things, things we can look at. Yeah. With, with healing foods and with the, our, why are we emotionally stuck and not, not actually just jumping in and eating healthy foods? Yes. And did you notice a lot of this, I guess when you and um, your husband shifted from like more standard American or Canadian diet to um, like this way of eating, eating around the perimeter, do you have, a, did you have a lot of that like blocks come up? So this has taken me years to process and come to this conclusion but it happened in steps um so i would say that something really interesting breakthrough i had when i interviewed um glenn livingston he wrote like the amazon number one bestseller called never binge again he's a great i've had him on the show i've had him on my show like at least five times he's a he's a fantastic human being you should have him on your show he's his name's glenn livingston and um, he's a psychologist and he, um, he says the root cause of what causes you to, for example, binge or overeat or emotionally eat, right? Because some people don't associate with binge eating. They, they don't see themselves like standing in front of the freezer at three in the morning, uncontrollably eating ice cream like that. Like to some people that's binging, but, to, but binging could be just like getting, taking seconds on your plate when you know you're not hungry. It's like, I know I'm not hungry, but I'm still going to go back for seconds or thirds. Like that is, can, that can also be binge eating. Like why are we eating past the point of satiety? So, so there's an emotional component there. We're emotionally eating or, or maybe fixating on a food like chocolate, like, like eating, overeating chocolate or just eating chocolate, even though it makes us feel bad. For example, if, if chocolate were something that made you feel bad for him, it was chocolate. Um, if he, so he figured out the reason why he was binge eating chocolate and it was something that happened when he was a child, his mom couldn't take care of him and love him the way he needed it. Maybe she was like with a younger sibling or something. And so she just told him to go make himself a, um, like a chocolate milk. 
and that gave him the nice dopamine response. He's like, I don't know, three or four or five. And so through his childhood, anytime he wanted love, he went and made himself a chocolate milk. And so he, he started to, as an adult, using chocolate to self-soothe, using chocolate as a, as a drug, using chocolate to manage his emotion, the emotional state. I mean, how many people do that with cigarettes? Or if they get angry, oh, I just need to go get a beer. I just have to go get a smoke. You know, how many people do that where they get angry and then to self-soothe or manage their emotions, they go do um, an activity that might not be helpful. Now, some people go running. Like, I'm just, I got to go for a run. I'm so angry. Okay, maybe that's a really healthy outlet. Like, especially if, you know, you're choosing to run in a healthy way. Um, so we all, we all have ways we cope with, um, with intense emotions, right? And hopefully we're figuring out healthy ways of doing it. Well, he figured it out. He like had this breakthrough. He healed this part of his past, but he kept binging chocolate. And he's like, I don't understand. Like I had the breakthrough. Like I got, I got to the root cause. I forgave my mom. I healed it. Why am I still drawn to chocolate? And then it hit him that once you have, so it's sort of like the beginning is the root. So why you're doing the behaviors you're doing right? There's a root, there's a beginning. Maybe you were three, maybe you were in the womb, maybe you were 10 years old. Something happened in your life and that started, that was the first event that started it. Um, and then anything after that becomes the pattern, becomes the unconscious program in your psyche that is separate from the root. So you can go back and do two years of talk therapy on a couch and heal the root cause of things, that will not change the present behavior. That's why I love neurolinguistic programming, which I'm a trainer in, or um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, talk therapy is great. You want to heal the root cause, but healing the root cause does not does not cause your brain to stop doing a, a, a pattern. You have it ingrained in your. It's sort of like if you always drive home this one way, I, we did this the other day, we were just, all of a sudden we drove and I turned left to go to the UPS store to pick up our mail. And my husband's like, what are you doing? We're not going to the UPS store. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like it was just, we always go that way from the house. We always go that way. I'm sure everyone's done it where you just like, oh man, I, I meant to go this way, but it's just like muscle memory. I always go, I always go this one direction. Um, and so it's an ingrained a pattern or behavior and and to we have to we have to stop that and we have to do a break state and create a new pattern instead so first we have to acknowledge what it is that we want to do different so i don't i don't like eating at 10 at night for example like nighttime eating if you if you can change one thing to be a healthier weight is now of course i'm going to say like you know eat a, a whole food diet but if you could change one thing, super easy, stop eating after 6 p.m. Just stop it. And, and my thing is like, it'll be like 10 p.m. And 10 p.m. is when I should be getting in bed. But you know, like little rebellious teenager living inside me still hasn't fully grown up, wants to like do just another episode of Netflix. Just one more, just one more, just one more. And this all sense one in the morning. And right about 10 at night is when I start getting hungry again. And so it's like, oh yeah, I could eat right? Well, I shouldn't. What am I, what do I need to consume calories? It's 10 at night. I should, I should be going to bed. What do I need more energy for? And we often will, we, we snack. I have, a, I have a friend whose husband will eat, like he'll eat the healthy food she makes and she makes super healthy food. He'll have like a little plate, vegetables. And then 20 minutes later, the rest of the night he's snacking on chips 
it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm full, honey. I don't need any more vegetables. And then he's eating like 2000 calories of chips, right? So, cause it's just snacking. So what I would say is cut out the snacking, stop eating after 6 p.m., have a really big healthy meal and it's okay to go to bed hungry. That's another thing I had to work on is being present to the emotions I felt when I was hungry because I found that rage and anger and upsetness would all sort of come up. Like if I'm, it, it, it was just so weird. It's like, where's this coming from? And so I could process it and be with it, but don't give into it. Don't react from it. So if you're hungry, just drink a glass of water and be with the hunger. What's wrong with a little hunger? Like, why are we so afraid of it? And just be with it. Now, I'm not saying be, be anorexic. Like, please, if you have an eating disorder by any means, you know, you need to eat, eat in a way that's consistent with the most therapeutic form possible for you. But if you're like me and you just noticed that when you got hungry, you had to just knee jerk, eat something. What's going on? Like, why can't I just be with this hunger for five minutes? My husband, it's so interesting to watch him. He could be hungry. He could not eat all day. He could just be like busy, not even noticing he's hungry. Me, the second I got hungry, it's like, stop the world. I have to eat, right? Like what's going on? So I had to be with that and just notice why is there anger associated with hunger? Why is there fear associated with hunger? And just be with it and then be okay with it. Be okay with, you know, drink a glass of water and watch, watch that the hunger passes. These hunger pains um, don't need to control me. The emotions around it don't need to control me. But, but diving into that and, and understanding it is interesting. But understanding will not change the behavior. So understanding is good, but it won't change the behavior. We actually have to choose a new way of being, to choose a new behavior to, 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 choose the beha- to, to shift it. So make a rule, no eating after six, no matter what, even if you're hungry, have some water, go to bed earlier, and notice the emotions that come up and just be with them, but don't react from them. And that's, that's just this very interesting place because now all of a sudden you have more control and you're not, you're not, your food choices are not coming from a place of re- reaction. They're not coming from a place of, you know, it's just now you're listening, you are listening to your body, um, but you're also doing something that's, that's incredibly, incredibly healing, um, separating the emotions from what goes in our mouth. Yes. And I love that that distinction between understanding that understanding doesn't necessarily mean habit change. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess for, if you can expand more on like NLP and how that can help then actually break through a behavior change that's like programmed in our mind. Sure. So neurolinguistic programming is a, a series of tools. It's just, it's just a bunch of tools. And so you can go to a practitioner that is um, proficient in NLP and they'll use tools with you um, depending on what you need. Uh, so there's just, it's a variety of tools that all have to do with changing your state, changing your focus, changing the wiring in your brain, rewiring your brain. Um, you completely, you can completely stop a pattern, an old pattern. Like if you have a phobia, we can completely get rid of a phobia. You can get rid of anxiety. I have a technique where I teach you how to get rid of anxiety in like under a minute. Um, I've had people come back to me and say that they've gotten off of anxiety medication. I've been teaching this since 2005. I've done it with thousands of people um, to get rid of anxiety. And 
it's very common that they, they say to me, they get off of their anxiety medication afterwards. Um, of course, working with their doctor, I'm not a doctor. I don't tell people to get off their meds, but when we aim, when we arm people with the tools to, to be able to understand how their brain works, then it's all of a sudden like the, you, you're given the manual that we should have all been born with the understanding of how our brain works, how our brain works in creating our state and creating our behavior and in creating our results in life. Yes. And I, I'm, I've, I work with a lot of people who do have like sugar addiction and binge eating, but most of them are also experiencing a lot of anxiety. And I know a lot of people listening um, do, especially during this COVID time with all the unknowns. And so could we dive in a little bit deeper into anxiety? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'd love that. Um, anxiety is not an emotion like any other emotion. Uh, we often think it's a negative emotion like anger, sadness, fear, hurt, or guilt. Anxiety is a message from your unconscious mind that you're not focusing on what you want, that you're actually focusing on what you don't want. So whenever you have anxiety, it's sort of like the internal dashboard in your body. Like if your body were a car, I love those. Now there's so many analogies you can make with your body in a car, put the right fuel in it, take it for an oil change, you know, like <laughs> to take care of it and it'll take care of you. We have a, my husband and I, we have a, um, an old 1983 car that's um his project car and we love driving around in it um it's actually the same not the exact same car but it's the same model that i grew up in that my dad had so it's kind of neat i sit in my childhood car basically and if you take care of a car you can have it for 50 years you could have it for 100 years we have a we had a friend who he's passed on but he had a the model t the ford model t the first car commercial car ever invented um that I know of that was literally sold here in the United States on a conveyor. They're built on a conveyor belt. But anyways, it, it, it was amazing to see a running model T over a hundred years old car, right? So you, you take care of your car. You can have it for a really long time. Uh, we take care of our car more than we take care of ourselves. You know, you get it serviced, change the, change all the fluids, you know, so same, same, same premise. You put the best fuel in it, put the best fuel in your own body, Ser service your body, go see holistic practitioners, take care of it. Prevention. You want to prevent damage to your car. You want to prevent damage to your body. So there's a lot of um, those similarities. When a light goes on on a dashboard of your car, um, I've had German cars in the past where I'm like, I don't know what that means. It's just like, what is that symbol mean, right? You have to go look it up or Google like, what the heck does that mean? But the light's on your dash and it freaks you out because you're like, there's a light on. Should I even be driving right now? Like, I don't know what that means. Well, anxiety is the light on your body's internal dashboard saying, hey, there's a red light on your car dashboard. You know, there's a red light on your body's dashboard. Just letting you know something really important. And so that's good. It's good to know that. It's good to know. Anxiety is good to have in that you now know something's wrong and you can correct it. But the thing is, people don't know that it's a warning that there's something wrong and they don't know how to correct it. So things kept, keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until they can have full-blown panic attacks. A panic attack, it's like a spectrum. So panic attack is like the end. It's like the, the gasket being blown on the car. Panic attack is the very end stage of, of um, anxiety. Um, but we want to catch it when it's just a whisper. We want to catch anxiety when it's like, oh, I feel a little... I feel a little flutter. I feel a little tension in my chest. I feel a little uh, woozy in my tummy or a little butterfly in my tummy. Oh, okay. I'm having a little worry, a little anxiety. 
that's when we want to catch it. The, the moment the light flickers on is when we want to catch it because then we can turn it off. We can turn it off at any point in time, but to prevent any damage to the body or quality of life, we should turn it off as soon as possible. So anxiety is a message that we're focusing on what we don't want to have happen. Let me explain this. The body has two modes, sympathetic and parasympathetic. It's part of the autonomic nervous system responsible for beating your heart, digesting your food, running your endocrine system and ensuring that we are able to fight or run away from any threats um, or are able to sleep and rest and heal. Very important part of our nervous system. And we don't control it directly. Like you can blink your eyes for yourself. Um, you, can, you, can, you can override and take over breathing and choose to breathe for yourself. But um, without some great amount of training, you can't like change how you digest your food, right? <laughs> it just ha happens automatically. Uh, you could probably become a yogi and do that. That's a, diff that's a different podcast. That's a different course. So when we're in a state of fight or flight, I'm sure you've heard of fight or flight. That's called the sympathetic nervous system response. That means our body shifts physiologically into a different mode. We become a different animal in order to escape a threat or, or fight and survive. This was great a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, a million years ago, however long we've been on this planet, this was great for survival because we were in tribes and there'd be a threat. There'd be a bear to run away from or a lion or something. And we could either run or we could fight to survive. What happens during fight or flight mode or the sympathetic nervous system response the body shunts blood away from the logic centers of the brain. So now we do not have access to our ability to think cognitively or ability to think clearly or ability to have three-dimensional problem solving. We lose that. You lose that ability. You also lose peripheral vision. You ever been on stage and all of a sudden you're like tunnel vision. You can't see anyone unless they're directly in front of you. You couldn't see someone that was standing beside you. Like you have tunnel vision. You're in like, you're in super fight or flight mode. Um, you, so the, it's really interesting how the, the capillaries work, the, the micro blood vessels in the body have muscles around them and they're able to dam off just like you go to a river and you see a dam. They're actually able to squeeze and shunt blood away from certain areas of your body. So they shunt blood away from your core, away from your, the logic centers of your brain, away from your core, away from your stomach, away from your liver, away from your kidneys, away from your your, all your ability di to digest and 70% of your immune system, they shunt blood away from, which is because it surrounds the gut. And they shunt blood to your limbs, your arms and legs, so you can fight or you can run, so you can survive. Now, this is great if you only did it once in a while when you absolutely needed it, and then you immediately return back to parasympathetic mode. But the problem is nowadays we live in constant fear. We live in constant stress and worry, and we're constantly triggered. Why are we constantly triggered? I don't see a bear. There's not a bear chasing me. I'm just at home. I've been at home for four months. I'm, I'm quarantined. Why am, why am I so panicky? Why am I so anxious? I, there's no bear around. The interesting part about, about how our brain works is our unconscious mind and our unconscious mind, because people don't know what the unconscious mind is. The unconscious is just everything you're not conscious of. So we have a mind and there's a lot more of our unconscious than our conscious mind. And the example is, I would, if I were to ask you right now what your phone number is, you don't have to say it, but you can just, everyone can whisper their phone number out loud, right? 
where was your phone number before I asked that? You weren't sitting there like thinking about your phone number over and over again. It was in your unconscious. So your unconscious mind stores all your memories, all your experiences, has all your filters, your personality. Your unconscious mind also has something called the reticular activating system. So your brain brainstem back here. And it um, filters out, deletes, distorts, and generalizes all information so that you're only given really pertinent information to your conscious. Um, but it's actually a two-way street. So a lot, of, a lot of, for a long time, we thought it was a one-way street, like just giving information to our conscious. But it's actually also listening. The unconscious mind is listening. If you and I were to go and watch a really scary zombie movie together, my husband hates zombies. It's really funny. And I think zombie movies are hilarious. So I was even watching a zombie movie once, when, back when we had a TV in the living room. And he was reading a book or something. And this is before we had, we had kids. I was watching the... Um, the zombie movie and he's sitting there and at the court he can kind of see the movie in the corner of his eyes not really paying attention he's reading the book and all of a sudden a zombie goes Bleh! and jumps out from the corner and my husband who's six foot seven like huge guy he levitated off the couch he full-on was not it was not touching anything he just jumped and he yelled because it scared him so much he saw a zombie like jump out from the, you know, the, from the corner. Now he knew, and you and I could watch a zombie movie and we would be screaming, ah, it's so scary. Um, but we know consciously there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just a TV. Like it's just a TV. We're all adults. We know it's not actually gonna happen to us. But as we watch the zombie movie and if I were to hook us up to a machine and monitor our heart rate and our respiratory rate and our blood pressure and even our cortisol levels, and our uh, pupil dilation, we would watch, we would observe through machines, through science, that our bodies would be going from parasympathetic nervous system response of rest and digest into sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight. We'd be on full on stress mode, even to the point we're feeling anxiety. But when you're feeling anxiety about um, a scary movie, now some people will just turn it off or fast forward. So that's the problem with, we have so much control, right? We can fast forward through it. But if you're in a movie theater, you know, maybe you close your eyes or you walk out, but some people like it. They like that adrenaline because it's in a controlled environment. Like logically, we know we're safe, but our body is going through all the motions. Why is that? The unconscious mind's job as part of the owner and the controller of the, the parasympathetic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, sorry, is to know when to switch. So the unconscious mind is like, do you need it now? Do you need it now? How about now? Do you need it now? Do you need me to, do you need me to switch to fight or flight now? Do you need it now? So it's like, it's trigger happy. Your unconscious mind wants to switch to fight or flight because your unconscious mind is like, I really want to keep you alive. So the moment you need to run away from a bear, just tell me, just tell me. And it's always listening to our thoughts. See, our unconscious mind doesn't have eyes. Like we consciously have eyes, but the unconscious mind doesn't do thinking for us. It just reacts and it listens to our conscious thoughts. So luckily we do the thinking for ourselves, but the unconscious mind is listening to our thoughts. And if you sit there in your quarantined house for however long you've been, months and months, you've been in a safe house, literally safe, no zombies, and you start to think about something threatening. What if I can't pay the mortgage? What if I can't pay the rent? What if we, what if we get coronavirus? What if someone I love dies? What if, what if, what if, what if? And all of a sudden now we're in full on panic attack. Well, but there's no zombies. There was nothing. There's no things. There's nothing chasing us. Why is it that my body's having a physiological reaction? We could hook ourselves up to machines and just, I could have all of us, I could hook all of us up to machines and just have you think about something you don't want. And I can absolutely get you 
to trigger your sympathetic nervous system response to fight or flight. 100% I could get you to do it just by your thoughts because your body is listening to your thoughts all the time. And your body doesn't know the difference between what's imagined and what's real. So when you are imagining things you don't want to have happen in an imaginary future that's completely made up, your body thinks that it is happening to you right now and reacts as if it's real. And so what do we do to, so like, what do you, I guess for like the NLP work and like what kind of things can we do to, to be yeah. able to catch those thoughts? Well, that's, that's, yeah, but first I, I can teach you. But first we have to understand why is it that we so easily go into anxiety? Yeah. Why is it that, that 70% of adult Americans are on at least one prescription medication? Most of those are for something to do with something to do with like anxiety, depression, you know, things that if I were to give you tools, you wouldn't, those, those things would no longer be problems. And unfortunately we go to the wrong expert. So um, MDs with pharmaceutical drugs have their place in our society. Unfortunately, they try to tell everyone that they're the only person to go to for everything. So we go to, we go to an MD when we have an emotional and a brain thing, right? Like I, I've got some tools I can teach you and those things, those, those will no longer be problems. But we go to an MD and the MD gives us a drug. The drug suppresses and inhibits functions in our body that does not, that will never help us to mentally become better at life, right? Mentally become better at being you and in your own evolution. Suppressing our bodily functions with, with a chemical that leads to more um, problems that has side effects. Um, and damages the liver because anything you give the body that's chemical, the body has to process, the liver has to process. And if you don't have your liver, you're, you, unfortunately you are no longer here. Um, so we really need to be careful with how many over the counter and prescribed medications we take. Um, because in the long term, we got to think long-term health, right? So if we go to the same doctor, it's sort of like if the only tool he has is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Every problem looks like a nail. I've been to doctors where they're literally just holding their prescription pad, waiting for me to say a complaint so they can write it down. I once went to, and I thought it was more of a holistic doctor. I was complaining that I had pain and I thought I was having um, maybe like an ovarian cyst burst. Like I was having so much pain by an ovary. And he, he met me like two seconds ago. He just met me and he's picking up the pad for all. I, he knows I could have been like just looking to get drugs, right? Like, I don't know. But he picked up the pad. He's like, do you want a drug for it? And I was new to the States. I, I, um, from Canada and I'm, um, I live here now for a long time. And so I was just like, no, like in Canada, they don't give out pain meds like candy. Or at least they didn't when I was younger. Um, and he was just so quick to want to give me a pain medication. I'm like, how is that going to help? Like, I came to you so we can figure out what's wrong with my body. Like, do I have an infection? Do I, did my, like, appendix burst? Like, what? I want to know why am I having this severe pain? Not if you take a pain and you mask the symptom, how is that solving the root cause? How is that getting you better health in the long term? Same with headaches. Um, I really, I wish that we would teach people, which I guess we're doing right now, but, but so many people take Advil like candy. Advil is incredibly dangerous for your long-term health. Um, NSAIDs are very dangerous. They're like a nuclear bomb going off inside your gut. It really harms your microbiome. It really harms your liver. 
And, um, you know, sure, it makes your headache go away faster. So does drinking more water and, and resting and figuring out why you had the headache in the first place. Maybe you're, you, have, you have tension in your neck. Maybe you have a magnesium deficiency. Maybe you drank too much coffee. Maybe, you know, maybe you ate a food you're allergic to. Like taking something that just stops the pain so we can move on with life will not help you in your evolution become a better person and become a healthier person. So we have to take the pain. You know, we have to suck it up and, and, you know, put on our big girl panties and take the pain so we can go deeper and figure out like, so don't just mask everything. Don't just run to the coffee because you're tired in the morning. Don't just run to the Advil because you have a headache. Like figure out, like be in the, in the suffering for a moment just to figure out why you have it. Why am I tired in the morning? I was so exhausted when I had chronic adrenal fatigue, but I've just masked it for years with more and more caffeine to the point where I convinced my office manager that I needed an espresso machine in the office because I was drinking like 12 shots of espresso a day just to get through. And I was miserable. But if I had stopped back when I needed like the, the quad, when I, when I went up to a quad latte in the morning, just to function, that's when I should have really caught myself and gone, what's wrong with my body that I, that other people can function with no coffee. And I need a quad just to like put my feet on the floor in the morning. Right. If I caught myself, then I might've changed you know, started to like dive into it and change my diet and change my lifestyle and been, and started healing my body years before I had, right? So I had to wait till I, my suffering was so great. And I finally went this direction. But if we can catch ourselves when our body's just whispering symptoms, when our body's just whispering little symptoms of anxiety, just little or a little tiny headache or a little bit tired in the morning, if you can just like listen to the whispers of your body, those little dashboard lights are going on. Not the big red ones, but maybe just a yellow one, just saying, hey, just so you know, we're sort of running low on oil. Hey, you know, you could, you could with, you know, maybe get an oil change in the next few weeks. If we could just slow down and go, what, you know, what is not perfect about my health that if I could wave a magic wand and have everything be perfect, what would I want? And what can I do to support that? Instead of treating things with drugs and alcohol, and sugar, masking symptoms, right? If instead of dragging our body through the mud and, and forcing it to do what we want, we, we, we stop and we listen, we go, you know, I really want more energy, but how, how can I do it in a way that's not just running to an energy drink or more sugar? Like, do, am I getting enough sleep? Am I getting quality of sleep? Did I eat something the day before that's disrupting sleep? There's a whole way, there's an amazing, beautiful sleep hygiene method of, of accomplishing the most restful, amazing sleep. You wake up in the morning, just jumping out of bed, bursting with energy. But it takes stopping self-medicating first to do the deep dive. Because if you take the Advil and then try to figure out what caused your headache, it's like, you know what, you move on. You stop thinking about it five minutes from now. You move on, you're not even thinking about it. And yet that might've been the early warning sign. I have a family member that gave himself a stroke because he was dehydrated dehydration can cause a stroke. I'm not saying he was in perfect health, but he wasn't the worst off. So like, seriously, your headache is a red warning light going there's some, and I keep using headache as an example, because it's such a common thing to take an Advil for, or take a whatever, um, take any kind of pain med for. But if you stop and you go, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to just be in suffering for 15 minutes while I, I start to wonder why is it that I have this headache? Is my neck out? Am I dehydrated? Did I eat something I'm not supposed to? You know, is, is my body trying to tell me something? Listen, stop, take the time and listen. If you had a five-year-old 
holding your hand, pulling, crying, mommy, I'm in pain. I'm in pain, mommy. You wouldn't say here, have some Advil. Okay, let's go. Come on. We got to go. We got to go. That's what we're doing to our own body. But we don't treat children that way. Why are we treating ourselves that way? We, why do we treat ourselves? Why do we treat our own body with such disregard when we, when we pamper the children we love or you know, we pamper those in our life more than we take care of ourselves? We treat, treat ourselves like trash. And then there's also the self-talk. I just, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get back to wanting, teaching you how to end anxiety, but I want to say this one final point in that one of my first interviews I ever did, it was within the first 20 episodes, was with a mental health counselor who said, if you were to look at the relationship you have with yourself as if it was two people, right? Because you, you've had a conversation in your head with yourself, right? Oh, that was a stupid, I should not have done that. You're so stupid, why am I doing that? If, if we could look at the relationship you have with yourself as if it was two people talking to each other, we would have called the cops on you by now. You, you, every, every one of us is so abusive of ourselves that we talk to ourselves in such a negative way. That was stupid. Why'd you do that? You know, you're just such a loser. Like, catch yourself. Like, what kind of language do we have? This, this internal dialogue is BS. We never would talk to the, anyone we love in that way. Your body is listening to your thoughts. Your body is listening to your internal dialogue and reacting as if, as if someone else is saying that to you. You watch you watch Facebook, you watch the news, you, you listen to the news, any kind of form of media coming in, especially now, your, your body is reacting as if it's really happening to you. So you read it, you, you, scrolling through Facebook, you know, their new, their new, um, on the app, they have this, you know, they, they, they used to have the news and then they got rid of it for a few years. Now it's back. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's by design because every single news article is about how someone died of COVID or some mom murdered their child or something like just absolutely some guy ate someone like just like horrible, the worst of humanity, right? Like I'm sure these beautiful alien beings were going to come down and like meet us like, like Vulcans or something. And then they saw our newsfeed and they're like, these people are messed up. Like I'm not coming to this planet. And the worst of the worst of humanity is in the Facebook newsfeed. And your brain, your unconscious mind, and your body imagines that it's happening to you. So you see this article about how some husband killed their children and their wife. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're actually in anxiety at that moment because you actually put yourself in the shoes of the victims. Be very careful what kind of news you pay attention to. And I would even say uninstall Facebook from your, from your phone. Do not look at the news before you go to bed. Focus on really, really like positive uh, podcasts like this one. Focus on positive information. The information that's coming into your head, your body is listening to, because remember your body's think is, uh, your unconscious mind's job is to turn on the fight or flight in order for you to survive. And it's listening for a threat. Every single news article is a threat that your body reacts to and puts you in fight or flight. So now we're in constant fight or flight. When we're in fight or flight, we are no longer in rest and digest. It's actually our healing mode. So you're now no longer healing. That's why people go, oh, you got an ulcer, you must be stressed out. It's because stress causes ulcers. Why? Because our body shunts blood away from, the, from, from our core, away from our digestion. Our digestion shuts down. We don't make enough hydrochloric acid and we get ulcers. That's just the early, that's just the early stuff. You, you stay in stress mode long enough, you're going to get cancer and you're going to die young. 
and I, and this is, again, I probably just said that and triggered your, your stress mode, but let's be, let's be blunt. When will you make change? When you're, when you're listening to the whispers or when you're hit by the cosmic two by four? Cause I've interviewed people who they had to wait to get cancer before they made life changes. So like, when do you, when are you going to make the life changes? Like, can you be with a little pain now and, and kind of like figure stuff out now when it's just like small when you're having just a little anxiety, because some, some people, anxiety feels like the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is not a little bit of anxiety. It, it can get worse, but I don't want it to get worse for you. I want you to be able to catch it and deal with it now and don't stop suppressing it with drugs. Stop suppressing it with, with food, with coffee, with all the things that we, every, uh, Netflix, you know, all the alcohol. So many people drink alcohol just to distract themselves and suppress this. You're, just because you're distracted from your stress doesn't mean it ever went away. And in fact, every time we drink for one serving of alcohol causes us to be in stress response for 24 hours, we can actually measure it. Um, it, it, it disrupts the heart rate variability for 24 hours. So it puts us in deeper stress and therefore causing this like catch 22. I drink to, to feel better. And then I feel worse. And then I drink to feel better. And then I feel worse. So we really need to like, just take a personal inventory and go, what am I putting in my mouth? Alcohol, you know, certain foods, what am I putting in my mouth or smoking or putting in my environment to distract from the stress instead of actually stop the stress and get out of fight or flight mode and get back into the healing mode of the parasympathetic nervous system response of fight or flight. When you're in that mode, you no longer have anxiety. That turns anxiety off. Boom. Because anxiety isn't a negative emotion like anger, sadness, fear, hurt, or guilt. Like you feel, you can feel anger from the past. You can think about something that made you really angry, like a fight you had with a parent or a spouse or a best friend. And if you thought about it long enough, you could actually feel the anger in you right now. But, and the same with happiness, like you could think about your wedding day or the day your child was born or the day you graduated or that you got your driver's license. And you, if you think about it long enough, you could actually feel the same emotions you felt then. You put on a good show, 90s song on the radio and you're just like jamming and you're like, you back, taken back to when you were a teenager or a kid or whatever. And you feel those same feelings. You cannot feel anxiety from the past. When an event is over, you cannot feel anxiety about it. It is done because anxiety is not a negative emotion. Anxiety is what we label stress. It is stress mode. It is how we feel stress mode. When we turn stress mode off, the anxiety turns off. And so I can teach you a really quick technique that is something you can do anytime you have stress. So it's like an acute an acute situation, whenever you have anxiety, you feel, you go, oh, I have anxiety. Then you do this technique and we could turn it off. And then I have a ton of other uh, techniques I teach in um, a 21 day course. Each video is like 45 minutes long for 21 days. I, I, I give you everything I know as an NLP trainer to have you end procrastination and stress and anxiety and also rewire your brain to get the results you want in life. And that's available on my website, learntrahealth.com. Um, and you don't have to do it in 21 days. You can do it in three years. You can take it as, take, take as long as you want to take the course. Um, but I just give you 21 really big, great lessons with lots of homework that, that really rewires the brain for success. So I have a technique that I love teaching. I'm going to teach it to you. 
And when you've learned it, it will turn off the stress response. And that's why it turns off anxiety. People go, oh my gosh, it was so easy. It was so quick. Why did it work? It's just like magic. It's like, no, it's just, it just shifts your focus. Remember what you focus on. So if I focus on zombies, my unconscious mind says there's a threat. It tells my body to turn on the stress response. And there, therefore I feel, I, so I could run away from the zombie, right? Because um, my body doesn't know the zombies aren't real. Um, so then I feel anxiety. And then I go, oh, but because I don't know the anxieties from that, then I'm just feeling anxiety, right? And I'm just going through life, looking at all the stressors, feeling con almost constant anxiety. And when we turn off the stress response and we say to the unconscious mind, everything's fine, we're safe. The unconscious mind goes, okay, well, I'll turn off stress response for now, but I'm going to turn on the second there's a threat again. Like I will, the second I will, the second you, you see something bad, it's going to be back on. And so we have to constantly put ourselves into rest and digest mode in the parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system of just chilling and being happy and then we see another threat and the body goes boom fight or flight and then we got to go okay come back nope we're safe we're safe so we have to do it every time um that's why things like doing a media fast you know finding out what really 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 triggers your anxiety and like avoid it but most of the time it's going to be your own freaking thoughts because you have spent your entire life focusing on what you don't want to have happen instead of what you do want to have happen. And that's part of my course is I teach you how to rewire your thoughts. So your internal dialogue isn't always like, well, I don't want that to happen. And what if this happens? And I don't want that to happen. Instead, it's focusing on what you do want to have happen, which actually is better for preparing for success than focusing on failure, which creates more anxiety. So I teach you how to prepare for success and focus on success. And yeah, of course, there's hiccups along the way. I teach you how to um, manage what potentially could come up like roadblocks, you know, potential, potential negative things that could happen without triggering anxiety in you because you're still focusing on what you do want to have happen instead of what you don't. So, um, so let me teach you the technique. The best way to teach it is to actually go through it. Do you have anything that you're anxious of right now? Like when you think, and it could be a three out of 10, it doesn't have to be big, but is there anything coming up in your future that you have anxiety around right now? Um, I'm leading a 21 day reset, another one in September. So I always get, I always get anxious before. For okay, great. On a scale of one to 10, when you think about running your 21 day reset in September, how much anxiety do you feel in your body right now? Like 10 out of 10 being a panic attack, one out of 10 being like mild butterflies. Like a seven, six or seven. Okay, great. So I want everyone else, obviously don't be driving right now. Pull over to the side of the road if you are. I want because I'm going to have you close your eyes for a second. Make sure you're in a place you feel comfortable closing your eyes. Um, take this into the bathroom, close the door if you have to. And um, what I want you to do is I want everyone to pick something you are having anxiety around. It doesn't have to be the, I, I know everyone wants to pick the biggest thing, like the biggest thing they have anxiety around. I just want you to pick something and it could be something small because I'm just teaching you this technique. So it could be like, I have to go grocery shopping this week and I'm anxious about wearing a mask, like three out of 10, right? Not like I'm going to the dentist and they're pulling out all my teeth and it's a 10 out of 10, I'm having a panic attack. Not like that. Like pick, pick the small one so you can learn the technique and then, and then we can work up to the bigger stuff. Um, same technique works for all levels of anxiety. I just actually had a client call me um, a few weeks ago and she said, that she had been in a panic attack for over a week. And I believe it because she had um, 
she had a family member, like a distant cousin or something die of COVID. And then her like brother-in-law had it, like was in the middle of having COVID. And she was just like, and she's in a different country. And she said, I should have called you last week. She's been in, she didn't know at first it was a panic attack because you don't know at first because your palms are sweaty. You have a headache, you're nauseous. You feel like you're going to faint. You're hyperventilating. And you're like, what? And oh, and you think you're having a heart attack and you have heart palpitations and you, you think like, you seriously think like you're about to die. So she spent the first week thinking that she was going to die. Like she was having a heart attack. <laughs> and then in the, somewhere in the second week of her panic attack, like constant panic, she's like, maybe I should call Ashley because Ashley knows something about this. And she'd never done the technique before. So I, the same technique I'm about to teach you, I did with her. And in less than two minutes, she went from a 10 out of 10 panic attack to zero anxiety. So this is the, this technique works. And, and I'm going to teach you, there's three different phases uh, for most people get it in the first try, the first, so I'm going to explain the first thing to you. And then some people will have, still have anxiety and this is good, or they'll have less anxiety, but they'll still have some. So then we're going to do a second step and then they're going to be a third step for those who still have it. So I'm going to guide you through it. So I want everyone to think about something. It could be one out of 10, three out of 10, doesn't have to be 10 out of 10. Think of something you have anxiety around that's coming up in the future. And just to learn the technique, it helps if there's a specific date. Like on Thursday, I have to go to the grocery store and I feel three out of 10 anxiety about wearing a mask. Like something, something to that effect. But you feel the anxiety right now in your body when you think about it. Okay, so go ahead and everyone safely close your eyes. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that your life is like a timeline. Either your past is behind you and your future is in front of you, or maybe your past is to the left and your future is to the right. It might be a straight line or it might be um, curved. However you imagine, you're just imagining however your life is on a line, on a timeline is perfect. I want you to go ahead and, and float above that timeline. And I'd like you to float 15 minutes past the successful completion of the event for which you have anxiety around. I want you to look down on the event, see yourself in the event, 15 minutes past the successful completion of the event. Where's your anxiety on a scale of one to 10? Is it there or is it gone now? gone. <laughs> okay. So your anxiety is gone. Great. So everyone whose anxiety is gone, 100% gone, come back to now and open your eyes. There's about 10% of people that still have anxiety. Great. So for those who still have anxiety, you have to ask yourself, did you focus on the successful completion or did you just see a bad completion? Sometimes people didn't hear successful because they like, they're like, this is so new to them. This concept of focusing on what they want is so new to them that they just focused on what they didn't want to have happen. But it's like the event is over and it went poorly, right? So, so I need you to go 15 minutes after the successful completion. And some people don't know what 15 minutes after is because it's like, for example, what's 15 minutes after like going to the grocery store might be putting your groceries away, might be driving home still. Uh, 15 minutes after the successful completion of your big event, like, what are you doing 15 minutes after a, ma a marathon or a business meeting or some big online event? Like, I don't know, going for a walk with your dog, like something really mundane, excuse me. <coughs> so just imagine, and again, this is totally made up. We are making this up. You're not, we're not soothsayers. We're not fortune tellers, or maybe you are, but this isn't a fortune telling exercise. We are just actively imagining that something good happened 
and 15 minutes after something good happened, right? It happened the way we want. It's a successful completion. Notice if your anxiety turned off. Most people it does. And then you come back to now. Some people still have anxiety, but it's less. And that's because there's another layer beneath that. I once worked with a, an author who's, um, he was publishing a second book. And I said, imagine the successful completion of your book coming out. And his anxiety went from like an eight to a six. So I said, what are you anxious of now? You know, imagining his book came out successfully. What, what, could, he, what, what could he have anxiety around now? And he went, oh, the reviews. That he was actually anxious of all the reviews. So I had him go 15 minutes past the successful completion of all the reviews, which could be like 2000 years from now because it's on Amazon. And he laughed and his anxiety went to zero. I said, okay, come back to now. And he had this big breakthrough and he realized he spent so much time worrying about what other people thought of him. And in his mind, he actually made up that there's this mob of people with, with pitchforks, like running through the streets, trying to chase him because they all hate him and hate everything he stands for and everything he says on every interview and every book he's ever written. Like there's just like a mob of imaginary people that hate him. And this caused almost constant anxiety for him. He was always worried about these, these people that hate him are going to give him bad reviews and they're all made up. It's all made up. Probably like maybe he was bullied as a child or something or kids chased him as a child. But it's, it's basically, we, we make up a lot of stuff. We have focused on what we don't want to have happen. And, and one of the reasons could be because the pessimists are those who survive. The optimists walked into the woods, not expecting a bear and got killed by a bear. The, the pessimists were like, no, nope, there's danger everywhere. And I'm not, I'm not going to go in that, that forest alone. And so, you know, the pessimists, our ancestors were the ones who, who figured out how to survive. But the problem is we don't need to constantly focus on what we don't want to have happen for survival. Because there's also part of our ne neurology called, um, it's, it's when we focus on where we don't want to go, we'll actually drive there. Um, in, in, in racing, um, it's called target fixation. You can go on YouTube and search target fixation. But neurologically, we will move towards what we focus on. So if you focus on the worst possible outcomes, we're more likely to create them than if we focus on what we do want to have happen. So for those who still had some anxiety, ask yourself, what am I anxious of now? And then go 15 minutes past the successful completion of that. And notice your anxiety is gone. And if it, if it still is, if it's less, but it's still there, keep asking yourself, what am I anxious of now? Because it might be, there might be layers. Like for example, if someone's going through a divorce, they, oh, maybe the first thing you said is I'm worried about how the kids are going to take it. I'm worried about working with the lawyers. I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about, how my parent-in-laws are going to take it. I'm worried about how my friends are going to, and, and, and so you might be like almost micro looking at every single little thing you've got and you have to imagine the successful completion of each one, or you could go all the way to the end five years from now, go five years from now when everything's long gone and everyone's getting along and your, your ex has a new partner and they have a new family and they're getting along with your family. And it's just even one big family and every, everything's worked out and everyone's matured. And oh my gosh, I can't believe he's actually grown from this experience. And so have I. Um, and so you can actually, you see that in your mind, you can go, you don't have to go just 15 minutes after each little thing you're worried about. You can go 15 minutes after five years from now when everything's worked out. Like, it's like, cause what's successful completion to you? And that'll turn off the stress response in the body because now we're telling the body through our, what we're imagining because we are actively imagining it in our conscious mind. Our unconscious mind is listening or eavesdropping is listening. And our unconscious mind is then telling our body, okay, coast is clear. Everything's good. There's no threats. We're fine. 
for those who have generalized anxiety, they may notice they just always have low-grade anxiety and they can't quite pinpoint it. I don't know if it's about, I don't know if it's about going to the dentist. I don't know if it's about going to bed tonight. I don't know if it's about waking up tomorrow. I just always have anxiety. And so for those people, they take this technique to the, to the very end of their life. So for those who still have anxiety, it's like usually one out of a hundred people um, just sort of have this generalized anxiety, but this, this always makes it go away. I'd like you to go 15 minutes past the successful completion of your life. So close your eyes and go 15 minutes past the successful completion of your life. You die at 200 years old, having completed everything you could possibly do. You became rich, you became a philanthropist, you, you helped the world, you're, you're surrounded by five generations of your family and friends and they all love you. Um, you die exactly how you want, peacefully, having, having completed everything in your life possible, and you have now ascended to heaven, nirvana, whatever you believe the afterlife is for you. You're with, you're with, with Jesus, you're with your God, you're, you're, you're with perfect beauty and love, you're surrounded by the white light, you, you've completed everything, and, and everything is perfect, and, and everything makes sense now. The whole world makes sense, why everything's there makes sense. Why you had to go through everything makes sense. It all makes sense. You're surrounded by love and you're seeing the successful completion of your life. 15 minutes past the successful completion of your life. And bring that peace back to you now. Bring that peace back to now. So this is what you do, this technique. You can open your eyes. This is what you do. And it's in some people in five minutes from now will have anxiety. And they're like, oh, it didn't work. I have anxiety. Well, okay. It, it does it right now. It does it right now. We just, we just, this is the first time in your life for some people. This is the first time you actually told your body that everything's safe. Okay. It's safe. Coast is clear. You can turn off the stress response. But five minutes from now, you might start your old behavior, old patterns. Again, you've got lots of unconscious patterns, right? Which is what my course helps you work through. Um, and so five minutes from now or a day from now, 30 days from now, whenever you have anxiety again, use this technique. You can do this technique every time. And eventually after a few months of diligently doing this technique, you will start to notice that you rewire your focus for focusing on what you want instead of what you don't want. But I do have some techniques I teach in my course that speed that process up because you do them, um, you do them in the morning and in the evening, you do them when you don't have anxiety in order to rewire the brain to stop focusing on what you don't want to want and you, what you don't want, which triggers anxiety and start focusing on what you do want. That includes um, the images you have in your mind, that includes your self-talk, that includes how you talk to others. Actually, this is so powerful. And I feel like it has a, a lot of alignment with like manifesting and, and like Joe Dispenza's work about like focusing on um, what we do want. Yeah. So, um, so I want to be careful with manifesting because uh, people get into this woo woo, like, and I'm all for the woo woo dude. I'm the most woo woo person, you know, but I'm also like, I call myself an open-minded skeptic. So I'm just not going to be like, oh yeah, we're just going to like poof, like stuff materializes. I'm just going to, I'm just going to think about I mean, just, I don't even need to go to work. I'm just going to think about winning the lottery and it's going to happen. Like, I think, I think that manifesting has really been, I don't know, misunderstood. Manifesting, we manifest all the time. Everyone manifests, even the most unspiritual people manifest. We all manifest. Manifesting is what you are bringing into your world by your attitude, by how you treat people, um, and so we're always manifesting, but we're not harnessing it, right? We're just kind of like, 
untrained dogs just like doing their business wherever they want right growling at each other barking at each other reacting and pooping and peeing like we're just really very reactionary animals and manifesting we always manifest but we're kind of just manifesting chaos and a lot of times manifesting what we don't want because we're doing it unintentionally so everyone manifests all the time and this this we can get spiritual about it but we can also be very realistic about it um if you don't like how your life is going, then it is the result, your life and how it's going, the trajectory and all the results you get in your life are a result of your, at the root, the result of your thinking, both consciously and unconsciously. And if you want to change the, the trajectory of your life and the results you get, it does start here. What you focus on affects um, how you feel, your, even your physiology affects your state, your internal representation of the world, how, how you, the self-talk you have and what you imagine is going to happen to you in the future, like negative or positive things, um, what you don't want versus what you do want. These affect your behavior. Your behavior affects your results in life, right? So if I were to say, screw it, you know, life sucks and go eat a pint of ice cream, what are my results in life? Versus if I were to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on like, I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook group with, with these guys that are, um, morbidly obese, like, like they need forklifts to lift them. And I was invited by someone, one of my friends told me about him and he actually lives local to me and he, um, full on like needed a special bed to forklift. And now he's 200 pounds and he is a truck driver and he did it all, uh, he had to start here. Right. But he, he started juicing like three years ago. He hasn't had a solid meal in three years. He's just juicing for three years. He works with naturopaths and he does like, he does some protein shakes and stuff like that now. And um, he really, man he makes sure it's well balanced. It's not, it's not, um, it's not over the top. And then other morbidly obese guys, dudes that like, they have to have specially tailored clothing. They don't make clothing that big. Are Join this group because they heard about him. And it became very organic. It's this really cool community of just a bunch of people maybe wanting to lose like 50 pounds supporting these guys that need to lose 800 pounds right and um and they're all doing it through holistic means through juicing and smoothies and you know and, and but so much of it is up here and there's you know one time this guy is just given up he's just like he's in too much pain dude his version of exercise is getting is just standing if he could stand that's like you and me jogging for a half an hour right so it's so easy to give up at that point when life is so hard. But no matter how hard <laughs> your life is right now, like there's someone else who's, who your heart is their easy, who they look at you and they just, they would cry. They wish they could have your life because your heart is their easy. And when you look at other people who your absolute hardest day has never even come to what their easiest day is. And you look at them and you go, dang, that, how is that person doing what they're doing? How is that person overcoming what they're overcoming? Like, I need, I need to just like shut up and suck it up. And, you know, inst instead of going for the pint of ice cream to self-soothe because I have a bruised feeling, I need to like put on my walking shoes and walk around the block because, you know, I have a body that can do that. And there are people out there that wish, that wish they could even reach their feet to put shoes on. Um, and you know, I'm not shaming, I'm not shaming anyone. I actually interviewed a guy who was so overweight. He couldn't put socks or shoes on for, for his first six months. And he just put rain boots on and walked with blisters on his feet. Cause he couldn't even reach his feet. 
to to tie them and um and now he's a he's a volunteer firefighter because he's super fit right so um and he 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 needed two full seats in an airplane to to be able to get anywhere like that's how big he started so um wherever you are in life like there are people who who wish they could be you wish they could be in your shoes and so when when stuff gets bad and you just want to self-soothe and you just want to give up remember it what this you where we are here in our mind i can't for those who are not watching i'm pointing to my brain but for where we are in our mindset our mindset is where everything begins and our mindset is where we're going to focus on what we want versus what we don't want. And our mindset is going to determine, they're going to dictate our behavior, our immediate behavior and our behavior will affect, will di dictate our long-term results in life. So if you say, I wish I could lose X by X day, or I wish I could be in this size, like this dress size by this date, right? Like you have these goals or I wish I could make this much money or I wish I could, you know, achieve or this much in fitness running this many miles by this date, if you had some kind of goal, where it starts is your, your uh, belief system about you, your focus about, about, about your results in life, but every, everything comes back to your mindset because your mindset dictates your state, your internal state, because oftentimes we go, well, I don't feel like it. Oh, I feel sad today, I'm not gonna go running. I do it anyway, put your shoes on and go. Five minutes from now, you won't feel sad anymore because your, your, your state is so transient. And yet we live like, oh, we, we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I guess we're just going to eat ice cream today. Like our state is so transient, right? Your state, like we live like we're freaking five-year-olds. Oh, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to eat your broccoli. Okay. Go eat ice cream. Like what? No, I have this goal. So we kind of have to grab ourselves and go, I'm not going to satisfy this little five-year-old that doesn't want to eat the broccoli and doesn't want to go for a walk around the block because our mindset affects our state and affects our behavior and our behavior affects our results in life. So it all comes back to mindset. And that's why I love NLP because NLP is going to help you shift and give you the tools. So you, you develop a stronger brain, a stronger mindset and a stronger ability to, um, to manifest through doing the behaviors that get you the results. Yes. Thank you for that clarification. And do you, what would you say to somebody who's like, who keeps falling back in old behaviors? Like they're having, they're getting this motivation. Like they're hearing this right now and they start for a couple of weeks and then feel like they just get sucked back into their old patterning. I mean, there's, there's so many things you have to look at, like, what, what are they getting sucked back into it? Is it, is it hyper palatable foods? Is it foods that, that, you know, is it foods that are giving them the big dopamine hit? And like, what, what are they getting sucked back into? Is it alcohol? Is it drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a night? Is it, are they getting sucked back into watching TV at one in the morning? They have to look at what it is and what is it trying to replace? So these old behaviors that are no longer serving them are actually fulfilling a purpose. Like Advil is fulfilling a purpose. It's, it's making the headache go away, right? But that's not actually helping us, right? So staying up till one in the morning to watch Netflix is not actually helping us and sets us up for failure the next day. You know, when we get less sleep, we actually have bad blood sugar. Even people who don't have diabetes, you have, you have bad blood sugar imbalance for the rest of the day. On, on, and on average, we eat 500 more calories when we, get, when we don't get enough sleep. So we, ha we also know for 24 hours after not getting enough sleep, then I had an interview, that this was laid out in a book 
um, really interesting inter interview that I did recently that um, when we don't get enough sleep for 24 hours, we become more megalomaniacal, we become more egotistical, more self-focused, and we lose the ability to have um, emotional quotient, meaning we lose the ability to do delayed gratification. Do you know the marshmallow test? You can have one marshmallow now, but if you wait 10 minutes, you can have two marshmallows. That's delayed gratification. We, if we don't get enough sleep, we lose the ability to do delayed gratification. What's the one thing you need for weight loss? You definitely need delayed gratification because if you're driving by Dairy Queen, you're like, ooh, Dairy Queen. You know, driving through. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're like halfway through a peanut butter parfait and you're like, oh, man. I was trying to lose weight by this date and I wanted to be in a wedding, like my girlfriend's wedding dress or whatever, right? Like you, you don't have delayed gratification just by lack of sleep. So why is it that we constantly are weight? Like, I'm just using this as an example. We have to kind of like go back and, and, and reverse it and go, what, what is, what is staying up till one in the morning watching Netflix serving me? What, what purpose is it fulfilling? A good example is like, if, if um, you don't feel like you're getting enough, fun or pleasure in your life. There's a missing, there's like a missing. This is actually in part of my course. What we do is we go through every aspect of your life. Um, and we figure out where's their, where are their gaps, like in joy and in, in fulfillment and spirituality. Like, and usually these negative um, behaviors we're doing are trying to band-aid the emptiness we feel in certain areas, like feeling, um, um, Feeling like we have a purpose in the world. Feeling like we, are you still there? Yeah. That's so weird. My monitor just shut off. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can see you still. You can see me? Okay. Well, I can't see you for, but I'll just, I'll just, yeah. I'm glad you can see me. Okay. <laughs> so, oh yeah, my monitor just shut off. I just turned it back on. Okay. So that was weird. Um, so we, we, we are using negative behaviors to self-soothe instead of um, getting to the root cause. So if you could go to bed at 10 at night, right? But, but, but this part of you is like, I don't get enough joy in the day. I don't have enough personal time. I don't have enough fun. I really just feel like there's a missing, right? Great. Okay, so we go to, go, to bed at, at, go to bed earlier, go to bed at nine, and then wake up before the whole house and do something for you. Like go stand barefoot and journal or go, you know, sit down outside while the sun rises and sip your tea or coffee and put your, put your feet in the do wet, dewy grass and ground yourself while you do some journaling or listen to some music, go for a walk. Um, do something that brings you fulfillment on a deeper level, that brings you joy on a deeper level. But drinking alcohol every night, for example, because it gives you this buzz, you know, it, are you missing excitement and vibrance in your life? Like, what are you trying to compensate for? I had um, an ex-boss of mine was a, like a smoker every 15 minutes, um, but she was a really hard worker too. So she would, from sunrise to sunset, she would work, just work, 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 work. And she, every 15 minutes, she'd get up and have a cigarette and then go back to work. And she'd smoke outside in the beautiful patio overlooking the Sydney, uh, Australia, um, Sydney's um, opera house, just like beautiful, beautiful downtown view of the, the marina. And, um, and when she quit smoking, she would just work from sunrise to sunset. And of course her health deteriorated even more so than from smoking. 
And what she finally figured out, because she kept going back to smoking, kept going back, she, like, she couldn't, she couldn't k- kick it. And then she finally realized that smoking was the one thing that made her take a break. And so it was, it was fulfilling something. She wouldn't take care of herself. She, so, but taking a break by smoking, you know, gave her the ability to uh, unplug for a minute and stretch, get a glass of water. And so she had, so she wanted to quit smoking. So she quit, but then she put timers in her phone. She had to get up every hour for 15 minutes or five minutes and get a glass of water, get something to eat, stretch, walk outside, just breathe some air, look at the beautiful view. And, um, and then she didn't need to smoke anymore. And it was able, she was able to, to give it up. And so there's certain habits that might be damaging your psyche, damaging your body, but sometimes we do them because there's a deeper need that we're just, we're trying to fulfill, but we did it in kind of an unconscious way. Um, And so understanding what your deeper need is, understanding where the gaps are in your life, you know, do you have a sense of purpose? Do you have a connection with those you love? Do you love yourself? Do you have joy in your life? Do you have a connection with your creator, with spirituality? Um, do you, are you happy about your career? Are you happy about your finances? Like, and if, if the answer is like, no, or I wish it would be better. We look at those areas and then what are we like, what areas are great? Like, oh man, I have a great relationship with my kids. I have a great, you know, this is where I'm great. This is where I'm lacking. Or do you, do you cook food at home? And so this, so this, I have a questionnaire. It's kind of like a big circle and um, it's part of my course. And so we look at like, where's the air, where's the sort of pieces of the pie that are, are really great. And where's the pieces of the pie that aren't. And you'll begin to see when you go, wow, you know, you're right. Like I don't, I'm not fulfilled in these areas. So maybe you just um, hate cooking, have some negative emotions around cooking. And so you always end up like, no matter how strong your, you, your will desire is, you know, how strong your desire is around eating healthy. Every, every two weeks you fall off the bandwagon and just start eating Taco Bell every day or whatever. Um, let's get to the root cause and figure out what's going on. Is it, is it truly that, you know, you don't think you're, you're a good cook. You don't, you know, you're scared of the kitchen because you burned something when you were a kid or you got burned when you were a kid. Or um, is it because your partner once told you, you suck at cooking? Like, you know, let's, let's look at it and, and, and then empower you in that way. So I think it's just when you ask your question, why do people go, like, how can, how can people stop going back on these old behaviors? If, if it's, uh, especially from an NLP standpoint, if they keep going back, it's because those behaviors are actually serving a purpose. And, and it's not a good purpose. Like Advil is serving a purpose, but it's not a good one. It's just an, an, an immediate one. And what we can do is look at the deeper need that isn't being met and how we can meet it in a way that's more fulfilling for you as a person so you can feel whole. Yes, thank you so much, Ashley. I think that's so important that people often miss and it is like the Band-Aid solutions or trying another diet, but it's like, wait a minute, can we step back? What is what is not being fulfilled here? Yeah. Um, it's so powerful. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, sometimes I, I just get talking and I'm just like, I want to, I just want to tell you everything. Let's just yeah, no, this is so, you. This is so <laughs> I feel like I could talk to you for three hours. Um, I think you got three questions in. So yeah, the record. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, I, I guess the la- last thing is just um, where can people, where can people find you if they want to learn? Absolutely. Yeah. So any, anywhere where you listen to podcasts, my podcast is learn true health with Ashley James. You just type in Learn True Health. You can go to my website, learntruehealth.com. 
You can then join our Facebook group. It's free, Learn True Health on Facebook. But please go to learntruehealth.com and in the menu, find the anxiety course and check it out. Um, it's, it's so much more than an, I, I called it for your anxiety. It's so much more than that. It's, it really is about personal growth and development. And I highly recommend you do it. Yes. I'm excited to check it out. Very excited. And I guess last piece, um, if you could give a final piece of advice for anyone listening, just like one takeaway that you would want to share. Yeah. So um, as important as your mindset is your, your, how you think, how you think and your state is directly, um, is directly connected to your physiology. So there's certain key, key foundational things you can do to improve the house your brain lives in, to improve how you feel. And yet there's three, so people don't often do them. So let me tell you, if you want to pay me, you can pay me $1,000 a week to do these things and, uh, and then it won't be free and then you might actually do them. Um, this is my joke because you know, people, people don't like to take this seriously because it's free. So I want you to drink half your body weight in ounces. If you're 200 pounds, you're drinking 100 ounces of water a day. Spread it out. Don't, don't chug it all at night. Spread it out throughout the day. So when you wake up to when you go to bed, you're drinking something like 10 ounces or five ounces in an hour. Uh, just divide it. Take your body weight, div divide it in half, turn that to ounces, and from and then say, okay, I'm I'm awake for 12 hours of the day. Let's say from because you don't want to drink right before bed. Um, divide it and drink that many ounces every hour. Um, then add eight ounces for every vice or and everything that everything that would make you sweat. So cigarette, alcohol, caffeine, sugar, those things you want to add an additional eight ounces for each time you have a glass um, of wine or, or um, coffee um, or caffeinated tea. And then um, add additional eight ounces anytime you sweat. So sauna or exercise or you're out in the Arizona desert. Um, you you want to spread it out throughout the day, right? This after, and, and the thing is the first three days you'll pee like crazy and you'll probably lose five pounds. It's because your body was holding on to water like crazy. Um, we all do if we don't drink enough water. So you will lose a lot of inflammation as well. Water is how the body conducts electricity. Water is how the body um, transfers nutrients into the cell and transfers garbage out of the cell. People are walking around chronically dehydrated. Um, they say, oh, I drink enough water. Every client I've ever had, I drink enough water. How much do you drink? They only drink this much in a day, right? Um, this is a mason jar. You can get this, these lids on Amazon. I love it. And I drink these all day long. Um, you want to make sure the water is purified. Get a Berkey or get well water. Um, there's certain, certain places in the world where you can still get well water. Um, but drink enough water. It's the most important thing. So that's the foundational step number one. I have a free course on my website that gives you like all these different foundational tools. That's the most important. If you can just start by drinking enough water. So in... At Bastyr University, um, I'm friends with the, who used to be the Dean of Bastyr, the naturopathic college here. And she also teaches there. And for all the first year students, so becoming a naturopath is like becoming an MD. They learn how to prescribe drugs, deliver babies, all the things that MDs can do. They can perform minor surgeries. They're just like a doctor, the physician, but they know um, everything about natural health and healing and herbs and diet, whereas MDs aren't taught that. So they can prescribe drugs if they wanted to, but they often won't. <laughs> They'll help your body correct and come back into balance. 
And, um, and so, so she says to the first year students, she gets all of them to do this exercise that I just gave you with the water drinking. And she has them mark down their energy levels. Now, these are people who are uh, busy students, right? They're all in their teens and 20s, but they're incredibly motivated to be healthy. But they're all stressed out students with student loans and drinking tons of coffee and not getting enough sleep, right? So she has them do this one thing, has them drink all this water. And then after seven days, they come, they come back and they tell her what they noticed. 100% of them notice more energy and more mental clarity. And some even notice better sleep. So things like restless legs will go away. Now, restless legs are mostly, most of the time caused by mineral deficiency, um, but sometimes they're caused by dehydration. So people noticed, uh, oh yeah, less aches and pains. And yes, there are 20 year olds with aches and pains, if you can believe it, especially if they're chronically dehydrated. So people notice less aches and pains, sometimes arthritis-like pain going away because now they're fully hydrated. Their discs in your back become hydrated. Um, People will notice sometimes cellulite going away because cellulite is uh, dehydrated fascial tissue. Um, and you will have the ability to produce more energy. The body requires water to make ATP, which is cellular energy. A 5% reduction in hydration equals a 25% reduction in energy production. So, you know, next time you reach for the Starbucks triple latte <laughs> instead of your 32 ounce bottle of filtered water, um, you know, just think about that, you know, what are you giving yourselves? Because we are reaching for coffee, which dehydrates us when we don't have enough energy because we're dehydrated, thus perpetuating years and years of chronic dehydration. Um, so take seven days, the first three days, you will pee like you are going to be so upset how much you're peeing. You're just gonna be like, not again. I just went pee. How is my bladder still full? I just went pee. You, you, you will pee every five minutes. Just deal with it. Just pee every five minutes. Just deal with it. Um, but because your body's flushing, everything it's been holding on to, all the toxins, all the excess water, all the stale old water is going to flush it out. And then after seven days, you're not going to pee as much. Plus, you know, you can train your bladder to, to your bladder is really interesting. It's, it's um, the cells actually change from, from, um, from a square to a rectangle. So the bladder has the ability to stretch way more than you think, um, which will also help your kegels and your, your, um, their pelvic floor. The more you hold your bladder, like hold your pee, not to the point of like damaging yourself, but just, you know, try holding it. You're actually strengthening your pelvic floor. And um, so just drink for seven days, have your body weight in ounces, and then add eight ounces for every, every vice or everything that would make you sweat or dehydrate you. And notice what happens. And notice how much more energy you have. You have to go through the, 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 the pains of the first few days, though, of uh, your body readjusting. But then um, what happens is even weeks after your body is getting reacclimated and getting hydrated on a whole new level. So keep doing that. Um, the body needs minerals so desperately. Um, so I highly recommend my favorite website to get trace minerals is take your supplements.com. I've been working with that, um, mineral, the, the, the liquid minerals they have for the last nine years and they're life-changing. So, um, especially if you do reverse osmosis water, you're, you're not getting enough minerals. So that's what I would say is, um, is add minerals in addition to that. But my number one thing is if you can get yourself hydrated, you'll be surprised at how many health complaints you have will go away. And that's, that's free. But if you don't want it to be free, you can just pay me, you can pay me money every month for you to drink water. If you need, if you need to make this not free, <laughs> you need to make this more complicated in, for you to do it, then, um, then I will, I will give you that service. Yes. I love this because I think so often we're like, what's the supplement I need? What's this? And it's just like water. 
Like, go drink Yeah, please. Well, we have to start with the foundation, right? We can't yeah. supplement a bad diet. Like, supplements are amazing when they're the right ones, right? Food's amazing when it's the right food, but you can't supplement a bad diet. You can't, you can't, I mean, just, you have to get back to the foundations, right? We need to eat, um, we need to eat, eat enough fiber. I have a whole, I have amazing, the last few episodes I've done on my show have been about healing the gut with food. So we just, we need to get back to eat a pound of vegetables with each meal. That's about two and a half cups of, of vegetables. It's about a hundred calories. Um, a pound of vegetables can be about a hundred calories if it's a non-starchy vegetable. So it's, it'll, it'll fill you up. It'll give you tons of fiber and it doesn't, um, it, it'll aid in detoxification and weight loss and even removing of unwanted estrogen from the body. There's like a whole reason, a whole many reasons, many, many reasons why we want to eat enough plants. But if you can eat a pound of steamed vegetables or baked, um, or put made in the instant pot, um, at each meal, uh, you're getting, you'll be getting more fiber. Uh, then in addition to that, doing water. So that would be my bonus work is if you can add three pounds of vegetables a day, variety of vegetables to your life, drizzled in balsamic, um, no oil, no salt, no, no sugar. And, um, and just, that'll be the bonus work. So if, if, if the water drinking wasn't like, you know, enough, if you wanted the bonus to do the vegetables on top of that, and you're going to see huge changes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. Is there anything You're else so that welcome. you want to share or we need to cover? I, I, I could sit here for five hours. I could just, <laughs> we could, we could just keep going and going. Um, yeah, there's so much, you know, um, I love, I love the work I'm doing with my podcast because I, so you know how sick I was and there are people out there that are suffering too. And I, when I got my health back, I did, I started my podcast so I could reach those people who are sick and suffering. It was actually a podcast that we heard that got us started, um, got us down the, this road. And so I, I just, I wanted to reach the people who are suffering and, and let them know they don't have to. That's that chronic diseases, it can be a choice. It can be optional, I should say. It can be optional. That, that through knowing what to do and how to do it with holistic medicine, that you can heal your body. I've met so many people through this journey that, have, that no longer have Hashimoto's, that no longer have IBS, that no longer are in a wheelchair with MS. All these people were told by their MD that they will always have these diseases for the rest of their life. I've met people who no longer have cancer. They were told they had a death sentence. They were told, go home and die. There's nothing we can do for you. So if, these, if, if, if hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people that I've met that no longer have the life sentences that were these diseases, they were told by their MD that they have to be on drugs for the rest of their life, that they're, this is their, their, their suffer, suffering is not optional. It's mandatory, right? And then they found holistic medicine and they were able to reverse it. And it wasn't a straight line. Like, oh, I found holistic medicine. Boom, I'm cured. Like it's, 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 it's you're going to run into walls, right? You're not every diet works for every person. Not every supplement works for every person. But, but the fact is, if you're on this path and you're moving towards it and you're, you're just determined, it starts here. It starts in the mindset. You're determined to not freaking have that disease that your doctor told you you're going to have for the rest of your life. You're determined you will find the way not to have it. You will find the way to heal your body. Your body's designed with a God-given ability to heal itself. You, you, were, you were grown from a sing, beautiful, tiny, tiny cell into the most magnificent person that is you. 37 trillion cells all singing together in symphony, all working together in the most harmonious, beautiful way. You look at how our, our body is built. You, you, you can't not believe in God. You can't not believe in this. The, 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 there's a spiritual component 
that you are a miraculous being and you deserve to have perfect health. You deserve to have, you deserve to love the body you're in. You deserve to have true health. And no doctor with some fancy degree is going to, is going to give you some death sentence. You deserve to have quality of life, right? So the answers are out there. People are achieving amazing things with holistic medicine, amazing things with, with nutrition and food and lifestyle and, and detoxing and cleansing. And just keep going, keep learning, keep plugging in. You're going to find your answers if you keep plugging in. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road. Keep going. You're going to get there. Thank you so much. I think everyone needs to hear this. Absolutely. Thank you. This is this has been great. Thank you for letting me come here and 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 share share what um, I'm really passionate about. This is my my mission is to help people no longer suffer. Make make suffering from health issues optional. Yes. Thank you, Ashley.